Amen. Have a seat and open your uh, Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Hebrews as we continue there this morning. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, remember, um, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. But we do know that it was written to Jewish believers who were under persecution uh, in Rome. And they were wondering, okay, is faith in Jesus worth it? And so uh, the writer sent this letter to encourage and remind and explain in great detail that Jesus is worth it because, just like we sang this morning, Jesus is better than anything. Specifically, we saw Jesus is better than angels. Uh, Remember, they're the highest created beings, magnificent, mighty warriors who carry out God's judgment and purpose. Uh, They pale in comparison to who Jesus is. He is the heir and creator of all things. He purged our sins. He sits at the right hand of God. His throne is established forever. Angels worship Him. Which is why the fact that He came and humbled Himself and became a man is so confounding. Jesus willingly left his highest place of honor to become a man and put himself under the angels in order to die on a cross and pay for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. No angel ever did that. My prayer for myself and for our church, for us, is that this truth would never lose its power in our lives. Jesus is better than angels. Uh, We also saw that Jesus is better than Moses. Remember, Moses was the standard for prophets of God. Everyone knew about Moses, how God spoke to him, how Moses' face glowed after he spoke spoke with God, uh, how God used Moses, how God gave the law through him. In Hebrews 3, uh, the writer confirms, okay, Moses greatly ministered to the people of God, but Jesus ministered even more by giving his life. Uh, Moses offered rest to the people of God. I remember talking about that, that brought them out of slavery, offered them a land flowing with milk and honey, but we know how the story went. Uh, What stopped those people from not going into the promised land? It was unbelief. Uh, They didn't trust God. They didn't take God at his word. Essentially saying, God, we don't think you can handle this. And so that entire generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. They lost the reward. They continued to wander, and they didn't find rest because they didn't believe. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, A promise remains for entering his rest. And this rest is attained uh, the same way Moses' was, by faith. Rest is is attained through faith, if you're taking notes. And that faith is in Jesus, who is the promise and the one who fulfills the promise. Uh, We no longer have to work at keeping a bunch of rules in order to find this rest. We just have to remain in Him. Remember there in Ephesians, in Him uh, we have spiritual blessings, we are chosen, we are holy, we are blameless. In Him we are adopted into His his family, we are redeemed. In Him we experience the riches of His grace, we understand the mystery of His will. And so we pick it up back uh, in chapter 4 this morning as we continue to look. There are three instructions in this section uh, how we can move forward in this faith. And so number one on your outline is be diligent. Be diligent. 
diligent. Okay, so verse 11, uh, it says this, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Uh, So that word translated as diligent in this verse is uh, spudazo. Go ahead and say that with me. Spudazo. Yeah, it actually, it carries a definition of work with it. Uh, so it means to do due diligence to labor. So, okay, so it's the time out. We just spent half the message the last time we were here with the good news that we no longer have to work for our salvation. Uh, we get to rest in Christ in order to find salvation. So now we're, ex- we're instructed to labor. So, so how do we reconcile these two different passages that seem to be contradictory? Well, I, I just want to tell you this. Any time that you discover what is an apparent contradiction in the Word of God, it's not. You just have to dig a little deeper to find the explanation. So keep that in mind because we're going to look at one here in, in Hebrews just a little bit. Uh, this, one is, this one's simple. Because of Christ, we don't have to work to gain our salvation. We don't have to work to gain favor. We rest in Him. However, we still work because of our salvation. We still work because of our salvation. Uh, The book of James says that faith without works is dead. We rest in Christ, but we still have kingdom assignments. We still have a mission to live out. We, We all still must be diligent to live the life of faith that God has called us to do. The imperative to be diligent is an imperative to not stray away from the faith. Uh, think about it kind of like, like this. I don't know any of you guys like to, or ladies like enjoy mowing your yard. I, I'm one that actually does. I know some don't. You, you think that's, that's crazy. Um, I feel like a little yard therapy goes a long way. So uh, I will never forget the first time that I was able to mow my grass with a zero-turn lawnmower. Um, I had spent years doing it in various various ways, and so uh, the turns were tighter, the, the lines were, were sharper, and man, I just, the zero turn, it's hard, to, it's hard to beat the zero turn lawnmower, but I'll never forget the first time I, I, I mowed it with a, a zero turn, I looked back and I said, I, I had this thought, um, you know, it's, it's still work, <laughs> it's still work, uh, th- that new mower, it, it, it made it easier, but it's still work. Uh, I mean, you think about you install a brand new shiny kitchen in your uh, kitchen sink. Uh, you still have to do dishes. It's still it's still work. And and so our, our Christian walk is sometimes similar. Uh, eventually, we get better at living the life God has called us to. Um, tasks of faith that were once tedious, uh, they become less so. As we mature in our faith, we begin to get a spiritual routine and and spiritual habits uh, form as we find what works best for us. However, the Christian life is still work. And if we don't keep up with it, the, the weeds will take over and the dishes will pile up. If we don't keep it maintained, it's going to take twice as long next time to get it done. I mean, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Even though uh, we get it down to a routine, it still takes time and effort to keep it up. But the reality is, uh, we still battle with the enemies uh, that we face. Enemies within, enemies uh, without. Uh, temptations, struggles, and that's why we're instructed to be diligent. Because it is still work. God knows that we need to keep up the good work to continue 
to live the life of faith and not give up. And so maybe, maybe you just need to hear that this morning. Be diligent. Don't give up. Not to earn your salvation, but because of your salvation. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so uh, the beauty of Hebrews here, uh, it doesn't just tell us, okay, you be diligent and say, uh, you're on your own, find a way to be diligent. It actually gives us uh, a resource that we need. And so the next blank on your outline, be diligent by trusting in the Word. By trusting in the Word, because the Word is trustworthy. Look at these next verses, verse 12. For the Word of God is living. Uh, that's a word that, that describes something that has vital power, that exerts that power to the depths of our soul. I mean, th- think about that. Have you ever experienced the Word of God like that? God's Word is not dead. It is very much alive, and it is very much life-giving. So the Word of God is living and powerful. Uh, it's, that, that word is tran- powerful is translated as active in other places. Uh, it, it's similar to the, where we get our English word for energy. Uh, you've probably seen those little energy shots that you can get, five-hour energies or whatever that you, you want to call them. Uh, a little pick-me-up. That's, that's what the Word of God is for us. It's a spiritual pick-me-up. And so ha- have you ever experienced the Word of God like, like that? Uh, continue there. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. So, so think about that. Why would somebody want a, a two-edged sword? Well, uh, no matter what way you're swinging it, it's going to get the job done, right? No matter, no matter what you're... That, that, that's, that describes the Word of God. It, it, it does its job. It does what it is intended to do. Uh, notice that it says it divides soul and spirit. And so... Um, ex- let me just try to explain that. We can think of our soul as the, the psyche, the place where our emotions are. And we can think of, of the spirit as the spiritual side of us. And so this word of God, it takes us in our raw emotional state. And with the precision of a, of a scalpel, it says, listen, without my spiritual help, uh, none of this will ever come together. None of it will be balanced. Your soul will be a wreck without a relationship with me. And we get that through his word. Uh, Think of how many people we know never make that connection. The spirit and the the psyche, um, uh, soul and spirit here, you know, um, there's just, there's no balance. Because they haven't allowed the spirit of God to, to work in that. This is the power of the Word of God. It's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides soul and spirit. The verse, verse 12 continues. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, we may be able to fool each other on the outside with our outside appearance, but the Word of God sees right through our motives. So, so honestly... I mean, think about that. The Word of God sees right through our motives. That's, that's good. That, that really is good as long as we're not trying to get away with something. As long as my motives are pure, then the Word of God seeing through those motives is a good thing. Why wouldn't I want the Word's activity in my life? 
I mean, there have been times in my life where I didn't because my motives were not pure. And, and there's probably been times in your life your motives weren't pure, you don't want that. But, but why would we want to live as, as children of God? Why would we want to live in a place where we don't allow the Word of God to expose us and cleanse us? What makes us think we can hide anything from God? There is no creature, verse 13 says, hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So God can see it anyway. We might as well allow his word to expose whatever is going on in our lives. Uh, we, We just have to allow the word of God, the spirit of God to speak to us right now. The question is, how are we to stay diligent by saturating our lives with the Word of God by, by allowing it to do its job right here in our hearts. And what we find is when we, when we allow the Word of God to saturate our minds and hearts, it begins to seep down into other areas of our lives. And there is this ripple effect that the Word of God has on us. Without it, we won't be able to stay diligent. Without it, we'll be distracted by anything else that comes. Without it, we won't have any truth to stand on, and then we'll fall for anything. And I would venture to, to say, most people never experience the Word of God as described here. Vitally powerful to the deepest places, full of energy, Precisely dividing those deep places within us and allowing it to discern our thoughts and intents. Most people never experience it because most people never crack it open. Um, maybe only on Sundays, you know. And so we just have to allow. Well, what, what's the Spirit of God saying to your heart right now? Um, listen, if you don't have you version on your on your phone, you should. Because you can listen to the Word of God. You can find plans uh, that will help it make sense. And, and man, you, you can begin to allow that to saturate into your life. If you need a, a physical copy of the, of the Word of God, we would be glad to give you one. Uh, you just let me know. If we're ever going to be diligent, I believe because we have such easy access to it, we need to be in the Word of God. Number two uh, on your outline. So be diligent. Secondly, hold fast. Hold fast. Uh, Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, again, we know the original readers, they were wondering, is Jesus worth it? And the writer has already explained, yes, Jesus is worth it because he's better than all these different things and angels and Moses. And, And now we see Jesus is better than any high priest that ever came before. And listen, for for this culture, that would be saying a whole lot because the high priest had a lot of power. So so what is the significance of Jesus being high priest? Well, Well, think about that for just a little bit. The job of the high priest was to connect God to the people and the people to God. He was he was the mouthpiece of God. Uh, and then he also offered sacrifices to God. So he, he, he spoke to, to the, the people from God, and then he offered sacrifices to God from the people. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He speaks God's word to us. He is God's word with us. Romans 8.34 says that he intercedes on our behalf to God. 
Jesus made a way for us to be made right with God. And he made the way for God to see us as righteous. Most importantly, he did this permanently once and for all. And so this is our Lord. This is Jesus. And he is not some pie-in-the-sky, untouchable deity, even though he could be. He knows us. He loves us. He cares about us. He offers us access to himself because he knows that we cannot hold fast on our own. Jesus gives us a reason to hold fast. Just like uh, with being diligent, God gives resources right here in Hebrews on how we can hold fast. Do you see it there in verse 15? It says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, ever since I've discovered it, I've always loved verse 16. Um, it, it, let us. Go ahead and, and, and tell your neighbor, uh, that's, that's you and me. Because church, that's you and me. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Other translations say, uh, approach the throne of grace with confidence. And so, so think about that. Um, us, boldly and confidently, approaching the throne of grace isn't how I would uh, describe the approach to God in the Old Testament. Uh, instead of us, it was one, the high priest, one time of year. And instead of boldly and confidently, I, I see it more apprehensively. It was in fear of being destroyed in God's presence. It was, God, please spare my life as I offer these sacrifices. It was, uh, we better tie a rope around this guy's ankle and bells around the hem of his, of his robe in case he drops dead in the presence of God. This is how Jesus, our great high priest, changes things. Church, the, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And we now have access to the God of the universe. We can boldly and confidently approach God's very throne of grace because of the status that we've been given in Christ. So what are the resources here? I think there are two implied. How do we do that? How do we hold fast? Through worship and prayer. Through worship and prayer. So um, think about this uh, just for a moment. What are, your, what are your thoughts each Sunday when we come and, and sing praises to God? What, what are the thoughts going on through your head? Are you, are you focused on the, the words that we're singing? The truth of what we're singing? Or is it uh, kind of distracted by what's going on after the service? W- would you describe what's going on in your mind as worship during the music service? Um, now, I've heard this before. If, if you don't like singing praises to the Lord, you're not going to like heaven because that's what heaven's going to be, just a, a, a big worship service with the, the greatest worship band and singers in the stratosphere. And if you can't bring yourself to sing one note of worship for Jesus and all he's done, uh, there may be a disconnect somewhere down the line. And I acknowledge people worship in different ways, and it is certainly more than singing on Sunday mornings. It's a lifestyle, but worship helps us put things into perspective. Worship helps us hold fast. 
When we consider, uh, Lord, because you are worthy, because the words we're singing are true of no one else, because of your great love for me, I will choose to hold fast the confession of my faith no matter what comes. I choose to believe that Jesus is worth it. I choose to believe that Jesus is better. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think worship is implied here, and so is is prayer. Uh, You know, it's been said that there are no dumb questions, but I have one for you. Is prayer important? That's a dumb question, right? I'm pretty sure every one of us would, would answer that in the affirmative. We know prayer is important. Jesus' example uh, shows us that. Luke 5.16, so Jesus himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Uh, John 5.16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That means when God's people pray, good things happen. God moves. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the Apostle Paul's instructions were to pray without ceasing. Uh, we would all agree that prayer is important, yet how much time do we really spend in prayer? How much time do we spend praying for our loved ones? How much time do we spend praying for the situations going on in our lives? How much time do we spend praying for our nation? I mean, we've seen here in Hebrews the importance of Bible reading, worship, and prayer, the basics of Christianity, and yet, um, even as, as seasoned believers, when we get busy, many times these are the first to go. Church, we may be too busy. Our priorities may be out of order. Um, That's where this is heading, Hebrews 5.12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of, a, of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to dis- discern both good and evil. See, some of us are still babes in Christ because we've neglected these basics of Christianity. Bible reading, worship, and prayer. And so it's time for solid food. It, it's time for us to dive deeper On the other days of the week, not just when we're here. This is how we remain diligent. This is how we hold fast. We're going to end today with chapter 6. With the last instruction in this section is number 3 on your outline. Be complete. Now, um, i got to admit, this is a rather disturbing and confusing passage. And so you got to stick with me because it will make sense. But we've got to dive deep to, to... For it to make sense, okay? So, um, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That's the word that means complete. Be complete. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Here's where it gets disturbing and confusing. 
Verse 4 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put himself and put him to an open shame. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you follow it, it's disturbing because it appears that it's saying, if you fall away from the faith, it's impossible to come back. Uh, but then when we reconcile this against the story of the prodigal son, Jesus' own teaching, and we, we think of Peter's life and how he denied, denied Christ and then the, the aftermath of that, it leaves us wondering. So Hebrews 6 appears to be saying here that you can lose your salvation. But there is clear teaching of security of the believer throughout Scripture. Once saved, always saved. It's something that we as Baptists, we stand on. And so this is another one of those biblical passages that seem to contradict other biblical passages. And so what do we do when we come upon a passage that seems to contradict other biblical passages? We dig deeper to see what it's really saying. So, uh, some explain this passage away by saying, well, this is not talking about true believers. But if you, if you look up these descriptors, uh, right there in verse 4, enlightened, it means to come to saving knowledge. Uh, tasting, tasted the heavenly gift, it describes this, whoever this is here. Uh, become partakers of the Holy Spirit. These all describe believers. Now, others hypothesize uh, that this is only applied to the early Christians while the temple was still in operation. But I think there are a couple of explanations uh, that could be true. And in order to unco- uncover them, we have to look at the language, the original language, and the parts of speech. So, uh, the next blank on your outline. <clears throat> uh, the first hypothesis that I think could be true is that the writer is just describing a hypothetical situation to prove a point that true believers cannot lose their salvation. Now, notice verse 9, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So basically, uh, the writer is saying, if you could lose your salvation, it would be impossible to get it back. And this would disgrace Jesus. What he did on the cross would not have been sufficient. So if it were possible to lose your salvation, then it would be impossible to get it back. And neither are true. Uh, Notice the uh, pronouns. You can write that down because if you want to go back and and check this out, uh, check the pronouns used in these verses. Uh, Remember, let's go way back, pronouns take the place of a noun. Verse verse 1 there again. Uh, Therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let, what does it say? Us go on to perfection. Uh, verse 3 says, and this we will do if God permits. So it, it, it's all inclusive. They're, they're very uh, specific, these pronouns are here. Um, talking about the reader, the reader and the writers. And so both are believers. But in verse 4, the pronouns change. They're not inclusive of the writer and readers. Notice what it says. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers to, of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. So again, uh, if, if we look at the pronouns, it looks like he's talking about a hypothetical situation. If it were possible to lose your salvation, then it would be impossible to gain it again. 
Are you with me this morning? Uh-oh. Are you with me this morning? One more explanation here. Uh, the other valid explanation is found if we look at the verb tense of, of just two words, crucify and put in verse 6. Um, so I, I told you we're going to get deep here, but it, it, it's worth it. Verse 6 says, If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So in the original Greek, these are present participles and would be read while they are crucifying and while they are putting. So when we read it like this, uh, it says someone could not be brought back to faith while they are crucifying Jesus and while they are putting him to open shame. But once they stop disgracing Jesus, they can be brought back to repentance and, and renew their fellowship with God. Does that make sense? Are, are, are you with me? Um, if somebody's completely living in sin, they have to turn from that sin in order to come back to God, right? Um, so rather than a disturbing and confusing passage, this, hope gives us, uh, this passage gives us hope and confidence. A hope that verse 619 says is an anchor for our souls. The bottom line is, of all of this, is what we've been seeing in our text today. Uh, you can't go back, no matter what you've done, you can't go back and start over because that would require re-crucifying Jesus. And so what do we do? We start right where we are, no matter where you are. <laughs> if your life choices have left you in a very dark place, if you've taken a fall, if you just seem too far gone, that's where you have to start. And you have to move forward from there. You have to be diligent. We have to be, uh, hold fast in our faith. We must continue to move toward completeness. We cannot do that on our own. We must follow and pursue hard after Jesus. And church, I'm convinced, man, the way this world is headed, we need it all the more. But Jesus is better. Um, I, I was reminded a couple of weeks ago um, at, at the second service how, how important it is for us as a church to just spend some time um, reflecting and, and inviting the Lord to, to take His Word and work in our lives. And so if you would just, just bow your heads right where you are. I just want to let you know that, that the, uh, the altar is open this morning. And we're going to go into a time of invitation. Just inviting God to, to work in our lives. What has God said to you this morning? And what are you going to do about it?